welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. So Father Mark Thibodeau uh, was born and raised in the town of Church Point, Louisiana. You entered the Jesuits in 1988, and you hold a degree in philosophy, psychology, and theology from Loyola University of New Orleans and Weston School of Theology in Cambridge, Massachusetts. After your ordination to the priesthood, you worked in Jesuit secondary schools for nine years. And in 2007, you began working for the Jesuit novitiate in Grand Coteau, Louisiana. Uh, In 2018, after a decade of service as novice director, you left that work to become pastor of the holy name of Jesus Church in New Orleans. And you're the author of six books on prayer and spirituality. And I think that's why I am such a huge fan. Your work has has really resonated with me. It's it's uh, been very meaningful in my own life, but also in the work that I do in, uh, to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm delighted to be here. I'm happy to visit with you. Two of your books I kind of wanted to highlight today, and, and the first one is the uh, Armchair Mystic. And you talk a lot about prayer. And uh, one of the things that I have found uh, in my own practice is that people often have forms of prayer that maybe they learned as a child or things that they do in their daily lives that they don't un- really understand that that is a form of prayer, if that makes sense. People are always surprised when I say, oh, well, that's actually a form of prayer. And, and it's sort of a gift to people. Um, have you run into that uh, or not issue, but gift maybe that people find that there are not sure if they know how to pray, but they maybe already are praying. Yes, uh, Pam, I find that all the time, actually. It's a bit of a a problem, and it's a little bit of a sad thing that uh, I think people, unfortunately, sadly, think that there's some sort of magic formula to prayer, and, uh, and and, and that it's sort of inaccessible to the average person, which is why I called the book armchair mystic because the the whole idea is that anybody can be a, a mystic anybody anybody with an armchair anybody who has a comfortable chair in, in one's living room or one's porch or patio uh you can be a mystic right there in your own armchair so so in a way that's really the whole if you will the thesis or the or the ground the the, the foundation of the whole book is that is that anybody has access to God through prayer, thanks to God, not because of our own efforts, but thanks to God. And uh, and one of my expressions that is in the book that is to reach for God is to reach God. And by that, I mean any any attempt to reach out to God, any uh, because God wants to be found. And that's the only way we would have ever found God is, is because God God wills it to be so. And, and so God makes himself findable God makes himself accessible because he loves us and and so he's not playing hard to get and and so 
I, I really believe with all my heart that any sincere attempt to reach out to God is going to work. <laughs> it's going to work, whether it's the rosary or or the breviary or, or just, I don't know, just a feeble conversation, just a, just a random sort of off-the-cuff conversation, any of it, any of it, or just sitting quietly, just sitting quietly and looking at God's nature from your back porch. All of it, all of it, I believe, is prayer. As long as it's a sincere attempt to reach God, you will, in fact, reach God. Yeah. In your in that same book, you have the four stages of prayer that you talk about, uh, which I loved. And you sort of paralleled this with a relationship with uh, with your Aunt Sally. Um, and so you're a good storyteller. And I think those stories help solidify <laughs> the understanding of what you're, you know, so I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, can you talk a little bit about Aunt Sally and, and about, well, I should tell the four stages are talking uh, at God, talking to God, listening to God and being with God are the four stages that you yeah. talked about. Yeah. So, so what I talk about is that, is that, so Everything I just said, of course, I believe firmly that that any attempt to reach God uh, will work in the sense of you you will reach God. You might not always feel God's presence, but you will reach God. But Armchair Mystic, the book Armchair Mystic, is about one particular kind of prayer, uh, one amid a myriad of different types, right? Uh, or you might argue it's about two types of prayer. It's about meditation and about contemplation. And in that world, in the world of meditation and contemplation, there is a sort of an evolution that we start here and we move to there and then we move to there and then we move to there. And, and what would be the evolution? Well, I would argue it's the same evolution with every other relationship in our lives. Uh, and, and also it's the evolution of, uh, and this is where the, uh, the Aunt Sally story comes in, it's the evolution of a, a child growing into a relationship that, that ultimately becomes an adult relationship. So, so just to go through the four stages, the first is talk at God. And, and I talk about with my Aunt Sally as a little kid, when you're, when you're small and you your whole universe revolves around yourself and you, you think that everybody else is just completely fascinated with you and wants to hear all your stories. And, and as a little kid, sometimes you're not interested in their story. You just want to tell yours. And so you just talk and talk and talk and talk. And, and so that is a uh, talk uh, at God. Uh, well, I'm sorry, actually that's talk to God. The first, the very, even before that is talk at God. And that's when you just learn the very first phase phrases. So that's like, say hello. You know, when, when mommy teaches a little child, say hello, say I'm three years old, uh, say, uh, say, uh, I'm, uh, goodbye, you know, just these very, very small little phrases. That's talk at God. When we just repeat, we just parrot our mother, you know, starting with maybe mommy and daddy. And that's true in our prayer life too, right? We, we learn to just repeat the prayers that are already written. So uh, we, in the Catholic tradition, that would include the sacraments even, you know, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, you know, 
I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof, but only say the word in my. So there, th those are formulaic prayers. We're repeating what we've learned from our parents, if you yeah. will. That's talk at God. Go it's also ritual because, you know, when I was reading this and and teaching this this part, I was thinking about my own grandmother teaching me the Lord's Prayer at the side of the bed. I still use that prayer. I still fall back on that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not lost, but I have evolved, you know, beyond right. it, but it's still very dear to me. And I, I feel close to God immediately when I return to it. Um, so. Well, that's wonderful, Pam. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and this, I say this in the book that it's not like, First, you ride a tricycle and then you abandon your tricycle when you get to the bicycle. It's not like that, as a matter of fact. What's wonderful is that we keep all four and all four are valuable to us the rest of our lives. Right. And, and so we will pray formulaic prayer all the way to the end of our lives. Huh? Uh, and and as a matter of fact, I lived in a nursing home with the Jesuits. So these elderly Jesuits, some of whom have pretty severe dementia, they can still retain those formulaic prayers that they've prayed their, their whole life. A lot of them who are very far along in dementia, when I would say mass in front of them, I would I would say the Eucharistic prayer very quietly because they could say it out loud. And it was the only thing they had left was the yeah. Eucharistic prayer. I always say so, nothing is lost. And all of those things are sort of lost. painted on us, you know, of... Um, but I mean, not to get ahead of of going moving to the next stage, but I also think too that our image of God is formulated at this stage or can be. Yes. Um, and that we can get stuck in that, you know, as adults that people have the same image that God doesn't that that image of God doesn't grow necessarily all the time with with people in a in a conscious way. Um, right. Yeah. Yes. And and you know, if you imagine a relationship like if when you Pam were a little girl and you first learned the formulaic ways of speaking, you know, hello, goodbye, those kind. Of, if you never went beyond that, uh, that would you would have superficial relationships the rest of your life, you know. Uh, and so you still say hello and you still say goodbye. You still say the very first words that you were taught when you were a little girl. So you still use them, and yet your relationships would not be that rich and deep and and intimate if that's all you had and so that's why we want to move on to the later stages you know yes. so that that's the very first stage that's talk at god talk to god would be when I, what i was saying earlier like a little kid who's very excited and wants to tell all of his stories uh his adventures you know so a little boy like me would would go to my aunt and and say you know this is what i did this is the adventure i had in the woods behind my house and and I'll just tell the stories. Now I'm using my own words. Mm -hmm. So I'm a lot uh, a lot farther along and and I actually have a better chance of having a real relationship with my aunt at that point because I'm using my own words and 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 formulating my own thoughts and expressing what's in inside of me. Uh, and 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 my aunt is taking it in, huh? So that's wonderful. That's clearly a stage above. And for us, the equivalent of that in the prayer life would be, I would say, sort of extemporaneous prayer when we are, when we sit and we just tell God what's on our mind. So it's possible that someone 
might begin their prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's formulate prayer, ready-made prayer, talk at God. Maybe I'll say in our Father to begin the prayer. Again, let's talk at God. And then I'll just say, God, this is what I'm feeling right now. I'm really happy today. This thing that happened to me this morning, I'm still excited about it. I want to thank you for it. So that's talking to God. That's the next stage. And it's wonderful. It's great. Uh, Just like your Aunt Sally and God, uh, when you're talking to them, (laughs) that they are attentive listeners, that your aunt had a very good listening skills and that you felt, um, uh, you know, this, that you were the only person in the world, I think is, is what you said. That's comforting, too, that your prayers aren't just falling, even though sometimes they feel like they're just falling in the wind, that uh, they're actually being caught and that there's this attentive listener on the other end of of uh, of your prayer. Yes, yes, uh, yes. I, I, I'm, of course, convinced that God is the ultimate listener huh? and that God and, and that God, just like my aunt would be when I'm a little kid. In the same way, God is more than happy to just listen. And if that's if we never go any further than that, that God would be more than happy to simply listen to us our whole life. Uh, uh, but 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 uh, if that's all it is, well, then that's a one way conversation, isn't it? And and so we still haven't gotten to the level of any sort of mutuality in the relationship at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where we want to move to the third stage when I begin to listen. Uh, So it's not just God listening to me, I'm listening to God. Uh, And the equivalent of that would be maybe as I grow a little bit older with my relationship with my aunt, maybe I I can finally get mature enough to quiet myself and listen to my aunt's stories and, and things that she's been through in her life and her upbringing, I'm listening quietly. Well, might there be an equivalent of that in our prayer life that that I can get to the point where I can listen to God and let God tell me his story and let God tell me uh, anything he wants to tell me in the given day. So so let's go back to what I was uh, saying earlier. I might begin with uh, the sign of the cross, the Our Father, talk at God. Uh, and then I might tell God about my morning and tell him how happy I am about uh, the conversation I had with a friend. And then I might quiet down. And then thirdly, God might tell me something about that conversation. God might, uh, God might uh, thank me for, for being a good friend to the person. Or God might uh, teach me something new about how to be a friend, an even better friend next time I see them. Yeah. So I can sit and listen and let God tell me something about what happened this morning. And that would be the third stage. And now we've got a mutuality and a conversation going on. So let me ask you some questions about that. So the first two seem pretty simple. For the average person, that seems very doable. This third one, there's, there's a, I remember in my own life, there's a quiet drop down. Something shifts. There's an, there's almost like an energy exchange that I feel when I can quiet myself down enough from wanting to talk to God at God to like really quieting down and and listening. And 
um, you just said, you know, maybe God will thank you or maybe. So how is that happening for you? How are you un- understanding that what's happening to you personally? Like for people who might say, well, I, I have never had that exchange. How, what, do, how, what does that feel like? What, what are you hearing, feeling, sensing? Yeah, that that is indeed the big moment, huh? That's the big moment of uh, when you when you enter into the right when that's when you enter into the world of meditation and contemplation. Until you get to that third stage, you're not actually in meditation and contemplation yet. You're absolutely praying, absolutely, but uh, but to in, enter into meditation contemplation is this moving into the third stage, and it's a it's a big stage and it's a and frankly it's it's a step that the average catholic probably never gets to which is okay that's okay this is not about being better than yeah. another person nothing like that uh so because it, it's a bit of a leap a lot of people really never take that leap so what is it like? Part of why it's difficult, you know, it's even difficult, right, for a little kid to get to that point where they quiet themselves down enough to listen to another person. Yeah. Even that's a stage of development that's no small stage, as a matter of fact. But it's even bigger stage with God because in the case of my aunt, my aunt, my aunt would be a fleshy person with with lips and 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 I have ears so her voice would come through my ears. So this is a very concrete experience. With God, for the most part, God does not communicate that way uh, ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. Now God speaks to us uh, through what we call mediation. Uh, So God will speak to us through, through other means. Now, how would that be? Well, I would say the three most important things are my my uh, my thoughts, my imagination, and my emotions. Those would be the three things, the three, let's say, vessels or the three mediums of communication that God uses the most when God communicates to me. And, and that's where people get a little stuck, don't they? Because, for example, it's not unusual for people in your profession, in my profession, when we're teaching uh, someone new about this, and we say, you know, uh, just to give you an example, I feel like God sort of said to said this to me in my prayer yesterday, and and the other person might be tempted to say, well, that sounds like it's just in your imagination, and so we have to get to the point where we stop thinking of it as either it's God speaking or it's in my imagination. Because God will speak to me through my imagination. That's the way that God speaks to me. Uh, or, or, oh, that's just you thinking that. It's not God's thoughts. It's you thinking that. God speaks to me through my thoughts. God speaks to me through my emotions. That's how he communicates. And that's one of the, maybe the major reason why God created these gifts in me, my thoughts, my imagination, and my emotions, in order to communicate to me. But we have to trust, we have to trust that God is speaking through those things, you know? Now, does that mean anything that pops in my head is God? Of course not, right? There's all kinds of 
silly, either silly or, or maybe even bad thoughts that come to mind that, of course, are not from God. So that will require a bit of discernment, huh? which is a big yes. <laughs> Ignatius of Loyola. Yeah. I have two other books, two whole books on discernment of spirits because it's that important. Yeah. So we have to discern what is God's voice uh, within us. But uh, just the most abbreviated thing I could say would be I think there's a sense of deep peace. Mm. There's a sort of um, inexplic inexplicable peace deep down inside. That's number one. And I would say number two, the test of time. In other words, if we have this inexplicable peace and the thought or the emotion or the imaginative uh, image comes to mind again and again, accompanied by this deep peace, then that those are strong signs that it is indeed God communicating God's self to me. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said about that deep peace, because I, I, my personal experience has been when you can quiet yourself down enough, when you can really be in that uh, intentional active listening of your prayer time, um, you know, once you spill everything out or get it off your mind, if that's your process, um, that there is that, that, that quieting place. And then that's when things come to me and I know they're not of me necessarily. Um, and you know, I, I might be getting ahead of us, but then this is when I, you know, would go and talk to my spiritual director about something. If, if there are people, you know, I, I think it was Henry Nowen that said, we grew, we grow best in two ways, right? In community and in solitude. And I, I strong believer that we in healthy spirituality, we need both. Yes. Um, and so I would, if I wasn't trusting what I heard, I, I would probably talk to, you know, a spiritual director or pastor. Right. East right. friend uh, about, and, and, and have somebody unpack it with me. Um, Most definitely. Yes. Yeah. And you would also, wouldn't you, wouldn't you sort of bump it up against uh, Catholic Church teaching, for example, and against Scripture, uh, you, you would bump it up against uh, all of the other gifts that God has given us and the ways that God has communicated to us over the millennia, right? Uh, and and uh, so God speaks to us through our spiritual director, through our priest, through our 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 good friend, our very good spiritual friend, through Scripture, through the sacraments, all of these ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but. The, the the God speaking through meditation is specifically that sense of the inner movements of my heart, this inner movement. And just to talk about, yeah, I say deep peace, even that I'm trying to say something there, deep peace, because for example, it could be, let's say, let's say I'm a young person and I feel called to be a public speaker, but I have a phobia of it, but I feel called by God to speak up, to, to stand on stage and speak to other young people about God, let's say. Well, in my prayer, there'll still be that fear on the surface, but there's something deeper down. And both things can be true. On, on the surface, I can be afraid, but deeper down, I know that God is there. Both things are true. And, and what we're interested in is that that bottom of the ocean floor emotion that might literally be the opposite of of what's happening with the little waves on the surface of the ocean 
Yeah. Yeah. And being able to drop down. Um, there's a great quote by Margaret Silf. I can't get it right right now, but she talks about, you know, be, being below the waves, that there's this quiet there, that the waves are crashing above you, but you've dropped down enough into the water that that everything is calm. And I think that that's that's a good you know visual for what you, what you're describing about dropping down. But I do think that fear often blocks us of going to that place because we're afraid, you know, of what we might hear, what we might find. But, you know, and maybe you've had this experience, too. But I, I feel that there's an enormous amount of freedom when we can let go of that and, and enter uh, that quiet, that solitude, that meditation that, yes. you're, that you're talking about. Absolutely. It does. It does take some some getting used to. It takes some training, uh, especially today, frankly, because we live in a in the noisiest world that ever existed. Huh? Every day <laughs> is a little bit noisier than the day before, and so humanity lives in a noisy world uh, with our our smartphones and our our television and. Uh, all the rest of it. It's just a very, very noisy world. And frankly, as children, we grow up just constantly beginning, not just noise, but also sensory, mm -hmm. you know, images and things, just constant, constant, constant. And so to try to get to a place that we don't need constant, a new image, a new image, a new image, a new image, or, or constant new things in our ear, that's going to take our bodies to kind of go through a bit of a training to be comfortable with the stillness and the quiet. Uh, yeah. and I think so that we crave it. <laughs> I think that even though there is all that noise, we still crave it. You know, I have four kids and I, uh, one of them was saying like, Oh, I'm just so tired of the phone. I was like, well, put, it, put it away. <laughs> But, you know, it's a different generation. I mean, I grew up knowing what the knowing what a quiet childhood and adult, you know, young adult life was like and not knowing everything every second. Um, but I think that even even the people that grew up with the phones and with all of that constant imagery that you're talking about. Um, we all still have that inner, you know, that inner hunger, thirst for that meditation, that quiet time with God. We might not be able to name it, but I think that that desire is is there. So if 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 you can get to that place to drop down to that place, I'm glad you talked about the body because I think so much of our thinking with the prayer life is in our in our heads when we can drop down and and have, you know, when you were talking about emotions, well that's that's body sensation, you know, that's connecting all your centers and um and responding in that way. Uh uh, so if we were to move to the last one, being with God, um, you know, you were talking about your Aunt Sally at the end of her life when, you know, she was, uh, um, you know, not really able to speak anymore, that there were no words were necessary at all. Yeah, you know, uh, all, all of us could probably point to one relationship or another uh, that uh, you have you have such a level of intimacy that uh, you can talk, you can have a conversation, but it's not necessary. And sometimes the most intimate moments are the moments where there's no words at all. Uh, and and, and uh, I mean, that's one example. One example would be 
a person, uh, uh, an elderly person, maybe getting near the end of their life, maybe in the, in their last days or hours when they're not speaking. And and if you have that level of intimacy, then there can be a sort of silence that's very deep and meaning and and meaningful. And 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 so that's the level of intimacy that we're talking about when we talk about being with God. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other examples of that too. You know, just. Uh, uh, I think I might maybe say in the book that, you know, just an elderly couple uh, sitting on the porch after supper uh, as the sun is going down and it's a little bit cooler, it's not so hot, and they're just sitting there. And they're not talking, as a matter of fact. They're just sitting there. Uh, and it's not it's not intense romantic or anything. It's just, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful in its simplicity. And there's no words that are needed at that moment because that, being. that connection is there. <laughs> they're just being. They're just, they're just being. being. Yeah. And, and I, so, I had this image of my own grandparents. They lived in my neighborhood growing up and uh, they were always just sitting on the porch when you went by and we were busy, you know, as kids heading to softball and baseball and things like that. Yes. And they were just always so happy to see you, but they were just sitting and there was such a simplicity about that. Yes. Yeah. And 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 so there's an equivalent of that in our prayer life, that yeah. that there are moments that we can get down to that kind of level of stillness. And sometimes it's a it's a bit dramatic, like mystical, but other times it it isn't. And it doesn't at all have to be that. It could be just simple, just simple. Uh so much of my own prayer uh to this day. You know, a lot of times I start with a cup of coffee and I'm sitting in this armchair that I'm sitting in here. And, uh, I, I, you know, I may start out formulaic with the, our father and then maybe I'll read a little scripture. Maybe I'll say a little something to God and listen to see if God. But then there'll just be this moment where I'm just looking out the window at the at the tree outside and uh, I'm not really thinking a whole lot of deep thoughts and but I just sort of sense that God is with me and that the two of us are together in that moment. And those are by far, by far my favorite moments in the prayer time. And, and indeed, sometimes it's mystical. Sometimes it feels like like truly mystical, like a like a, like I've almost entered into heaven. But frankly, most of the time it's not that. It's not, it's it's more of a very simplicity, a very simple thing where. It's just a, a quiet simplicity and a sort of a, a sort of a contentedness, I would say. Yeah. You know, that mystical is you could almost call it a spiritual ecstasy, mm-hmm. but this is more of a quiet simplicity and contentedness with life, the universe, and everything. You know, I, I am so glad that you said this because you know, here here we are. <laughs> I'm a spiritual director and teacher, and you know, you're uh, a Jesuit priest. And uh, you're talking to me about the ordinariness of your prayer life. The ordinariness of your prayer life. That just gazing out at the wonder of nature, of of the world, of maybe starting in that stage one that we talked about, about, you know, saying a prayer or, or, or having, you know, some some beads or something to 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 center to settle you down into it. Maybe you talk to God a little bit. Maybe you have a special prayer. But for the most part, it's not this mystical moment 
all the time. And sure, I have those from time to time, or I might work with people who are having them and you think, wow, thanks God for letting me witness that. But for the most part, it's ordinary and simplistic. And there's a lot of freedom in hearing that, you know, or pressure that people perhaps put on themselves to perfect it. Yeah. Right. And, and so to hear that that you're having this simple coffee and I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that again, gets back to, in a way, the thesis of the book, that armchair mystic, that, that it's not a cathedral and it's not, it's not, uh, you know, this sort of, uh cloistered monastery no it's it's your armchair in your living room it's that simple and and if you think about it you know a a good loving married couple who's been married for 40 50 years my parents they're both alive they both uh they're still both very uh attached to one another they've been married for over 60 years if you think about it if you think about those relationships Actually, they become more ordinary as time goes on. They don't become more mystical or or more, um, you know, otherworldly. They actually become more ordinary. That's the the sort of, I don't know, beautiful irony of it all. You know, you talked about your grandparents just sitting on the porch. That's ordinary, as a matter of fact. And, you know, a young couple right after they're married, the honeymoon and even the years, the couple of years before, that's exciting. And there's babies coming and there's there's a lot of romance and and getting to know each other. And maybe you're taking trips to Europe. And but actually the the deeper you go, the more ordinary it is. And and that's what I'm trying to convey in that book, Armchair Mystic, because I, I think people uh, sadly are kind of down on themselves and they they actually have a beautiful prayer life. They just don't know it because they think it's supposed to be some sort of ecstasy or, or, or mystical experience when a- actually perhaps God just loves the ordinary because he created the front porch and he created not just, he didn't create just the rose, he created the wildflower and and the the ordinary green grass that's growing in the backyard uh, not just the Grand Canyon and the and the rose, you know. So God loves the ordinary as much as the extraordinary. Thank you for that, because uh, I think that for the people listening, that that's that's a, a real gift to remind us that it is the ordinary, not the extraordinary, and that it doesn't have to be a big production. That you know, you, me, and others, you just sit down in the early morning with my coffee and I just wait, yeah. I just wait on God and see, and see what happens. And I'll tell you with four little kids, um, I started doing that, you know, 20, 26 and a half years ago. And it, it was miraculous. I mean, it really changed my life. It changed, it changed everything uh, for me personally. So I encourage people that are listening to do that. Um, I also wanted to touch on uh, uh, on your book, God's Voice Within, because I've been sitting with that book every morning um, in my quiet time uh, for the last two months. And, uh, you know, you never know how things just land on you. I don't know how I found the book, but I was... I ordered it and, uh, and it's just, uh, it's just been, you know, a real gift. So it's, uh, it's a great introduction to Ignatian discernment. 
Um, and if you could just talk maybe uh, briefly about who St. Ignatius was 500 years ago um, yes. and, and what is discernment? You know, what is, you know, decisions, decisions, decisions. We all make decisions every single day and how somebody who lived 500 years ago could make such an impression on um, so many, so many people. Yes. So St. Ignatius of Loyola, he was born in uh, 1491. And uh, he, he's one of the more important saints in the history of the church because of what, this isn't the right word, but let's say accomplishments, you know, the things that he accomplished. And what is that? Well, he's the founder of the Jesuits. And for that, I'm grateful of the Society of Jesus. And of course, the Society of Jesus is the founder of, of what we would call the, the sort of Catholic education system in the world. Uh, St. Ignatius's statue is in the statuary hall of the U.S. Capitol. So uh, it, it's extraordinary how important he is just for the history of, of world education. Uh, so, so there's that. But uh, in the spiritual realm, he wrote a book called The Spiritual Exercises. And that book is a manual and a sort of an owner's manual for a retreat director, not for the person on retreat, but for the director of the retreat. And it's a reference manual. So it's not a book that one would read from cover to cover. We actually encourage you not to do that because it's not, it's extremely dry if you were to do that. It'd be the same as reading a dictionary or reading uh, a, a cookbook from cover to cover. Uh, it, instead, what you want to do is uh, it's meant to be looked up. You look up wherever you are. in, And again, it's really for the director, not the directee. But in that book, he sort of helps a director to lead another person in an experience of prayer. Uh, ideally, days of silence, uh, where they're in silence. It, it doesn't have to be silence, but it's even better when you can do that. And in that book, inside that book, he has a number of what you might call essays. And one of his essays in the back of the book, one of the appendices, or two of them actually, as a matter of fact, are called uh, Rules for Discernment of Spirits. Uh, and he calls them Rules for Discernment of Spirits Week 1 and Rules for Discernment of Spirits Week 2. And in there uh, is what many people, and I would argue, are his absolute best writing. He wrote an autobiography, which is wonderful. He wrote Constitutions of the Society of Jesus. All of that marvelous. But his writing on uh, discernment of spirits is, in my opinion, his best work. And why is it so good? Why is it so important? Well, in there, he talks about uh, kind of like what I did with Aunt Sally. He, he uses his own personal experience uh, to discern the way that God speaks to us. And, and what he says is that God speaks and communicates his will through us, through our, our the, the deepest movements of our heart, uh, through, through the deepest emotions. So when we feel the, the deep emotions of what he calls spiritual consolation, so that would be uh, a deep peace, but also uh, deep uh, desires for faith, hope, and love, uh, 
and and also a desire to do God's will, a desire to 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 be at the service at the disposal of God in God building His kingdom on earth. So these movements inside of me are the way that God speaks to me and communicates His will. And and likewise, the opposite of that is what He would call spiritual desolation. And when we are in that state where we're we're hearing the opposite. So instead of desire for faith, open love, we sort of are repulsed by it. In other words, let's say we're deeply hurt by our friend and we we sort of have this desire to tell them off, for example. So that's an example of, of a desolate feeling. huh? And so that's the movement of what Ignatius would call the evil spirit, what I would call the false spirit. Uh, and he says that by paying attention by reading these different movements inside of me, we can determine what invitations God is sending us at any given moment, invitations to serve him better. This ties in beautifully with, you know, this wasn't planned. <laughs> this is how, what I love when this happens is that God is threaded in this um, conversation is that we were talking about the four stages of prayer and in those stages, being able to drop down in that meditation, that quiet time we were talking about is when we are going to be able to discern, you know, that consolation or desolation moments of, you know, where, where we might be led or big, trying to make big decisions in our life. Um, Yes, exactly, exactly. That's precisely what we're talking about. It's 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 all about learning how to sort of read the movements of of your soul, uh, and and learning to to read that that movement to 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 listen at the the humming of the of the motor of your soul of the engine of your soul, and and hearing the clack clack clacks. And knowing what that means, that's what that's how we we hear the voice of God speaking to us. I love that. Um, but you mentioned in there um, getting paralyzed by fear when we have these big decisions to make, um, and they can be you know really difficult. Uh, I I know somebody in my personal life that gets frozen when there's big decisions to make, and and what would you say about that? Like, how would you use Ignatian in in situations like that. Yes. So so if 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 God comes to us through desires for faith, faith, hope, and love, through uh, a, a great desire to do great acts, to do acts of service for God, uh, and through deep peace, well, then the false spirit, the evil spirit, would come to us through anxiety, through fear. Uh, and also through lethargy, through boredom, uh, and and a sort of asadia, huh? just a, a feeling of of flatness uh, and and a, a lack of of passion. Huh? So that would be the opposite. And so when we are in that state, Ignatius would call that the state of desolation, and he, he would encourage you to number one to sort of hold off on making any big moves in your life. And, and I would even add to draw any conclusions about, about your life or about your relationship with God or relationship with other people to just, just hold on until you're in a better place. Uh, and, and 
he he would say just try to maintain the commitments that you already have because a lot of times when we're in that state because it's such an uncomfortable state we tend to want to knee jerk react uh, and so we'll sometimes uh damage a relationship that we're in or or break a commitment that we have because we're uncomfortable we're trying to shake something up and ignatius i think would have us just hold the line just stay steady and 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 to i would say console ourselves ignatius says that 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 the lord will be coming by you know so so we he says when you're in uh, consolation, prepare for desolation. He says when you're in desolation, he says prepare for consolation because it's coming. And so when we're in desolation to sort of console ourselves and tell ourselves that this is just a storm that's going to blow through and and we'll we'll get to the other side. And do you think uh, that um, people often want to race through that storm? They don't, we don't want the storm. You want it to end. And I, I have found that there have been a lot of gifts in that for me. I can't see it when I'm in it, but but in hindsight, that there were there were there are gifts that uh that you know God had for me in that time of desolation. Um the other thing I was thinking of when you were talking was um that often people want to just race through that stage or not experience that. We don't want to feel uncomfortable, we want to go back to comfortable. Yes. Yes. And, 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 uh, you know, if you think about it, most people, I think maybe everybody would say that the times that they grew the most in their lives are when they, when they passed through some difficult, uh, phase and, and, and had the grace to do so with, with integrity. And, and so, uh, uh, and with uh, I don't know perseverance and and uh, fortitude, uh, and and so that that's what the what Ignatius would have you do as well. Uh, the other thing Ignatius has he he's so many wonderful insights, but one of them is this. He says, you know, you want to state out loud what is it that you need from God right now. So so especially I mean this would be true all times, but especially when you're in desolation. What is it that you're wanting or needing from God? Do you need courage? Do you need peace? Do you need some sort of assurance? What is it that you need from God? And and to ask God explicitly for whatever it is that you need from God. And, and you know, as a spiritual director, oftentimes uh, I will ask a person, you know, if you could ask God for anything right now, what would you ask God for? And very often, more than more than fifty percent of the time, they're not able to answer that question. They don't know what they want or what they need. So Ignatius would really have us explore that question, and then once we figure out what we want and need, to explicitly ask God for it. Yeah, that's a great question to to remember. I find that, uh, and you write uh, or talk about this in the book a little bit. I find that the very things that that bring people comfort or the very practices that they use or prayers and things like that, that when they're in desolation, they just drop 
they run away from all of it. And, yeah. and I was thinking and preparing for today and I wrote on a card here, awareness. It's like when you have that self-awareness to ask yourself a question like that, what do I need right now? What do I, and, and to, to sort of the, that re-remembering the things that are in place. I think you talked about people would come to you when they're in crisis but then when things were better, they're like, oh, I don't I don't need that. And I say you need it all the time because we we can't avoid it. You know, life is like sort of this up and down. Um, you know, sometimes we're in the valley and sometimes we're back up above the line and then we drop, you know, in all different stages. So. Wow. Yes. Uh -huh. Absolutely. You talk a little bit about true and false spirits. We kind of touched on that a little bit. Can you tie that in with sort of that consolation and desolation, that true and false spirits? Yes, uh, I I argue that that uh, when Ignatius speaks about uh, what he calls the good spirit, he talks about the good spirit and the evil spirit. Uh, and there are times in his writing it, it looks like maybe the Holy Spirit and let's say the devil or Satan, yeah. but. I would argue that there are other times in his writings, and and uh, and it's been my own insight too that uh, I like to think of spirits with a plural, and you know he doesn't capitalize the the s in spirits there. So I think he's talking about any sort of movement, whether it's the Holy Spirit or otherwise. You know that like a, a movement would be you know, uh, a good night's rest, for example, you know, so anything at all that pulls us towards God, we can call part of the good spirits, you know, like when we at when someone is is ill, let's say they have cancer or something, sometimes we ask the question, how are their spirits? Mm -hmm. And by that, we mean what, where, where are they being pulled towards from the inside? And that, that I like to use that sort of language, uh, I because that. I think it, it encompasses more, uh, and and also like I, I sort of would argue that if we reduce the evil spirit to Satan, and especially if we reduce him to sort of this kind of childish image of the little red man or something, then uh, we're, we're we're actually not. It's not a mature view of 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 our reality. So what would be the evil spirits or the false spirits? It would be any movement away any movement away from whether that's a traumatic childhood that I'm still suffering from the wounds of that traumatic childhood or a bad night's sleep last night or 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 maybe even bad theology that I've I've gotten over the anything like any movement away mm -hmm. and and what he would say is that uh it, it is helpful to sort of personify these spirits of the good spirit and the evil spirit. And that he would say that when you are under the influence of the evil spirit or the false spirit, then you are in desolation, spiritual desolation. Uh, I talk about DUI, driving under the influence. When you're driving under the influence of, of the false spirit, then you're in desolation. And when you're driving under the influence of the good spirit, then you're in consolation. And uh, and St. Ignatius says that when you're in consolation, the good spirit is whispering in your ear, he says. And and so you can sort of trust your own gut. You can trust the movements that are inside of you. When you're in desolation, uh, then the false spirit's whispering in your ear. 
and telling you things that aren't true. That's why I like to call it the false spirit, because there are untruths and also twisted truths that are being whispered in your ear. And, and therefore, you can't, you can't completely trust the things that are being whispered in your ear, the thoughts that you're having. And so that's why you can't make decisions during that period, for example. And would you say, going back to the prayer discussion we had earlier, uh, that when in desolation, that you might not be able to drop down to that quiet place in your meditation that we were talking about before. Um, and that could yeah. be that could be a, a red flag of... Right, right. One of the signs of desolation is that you don't have a strong sense of God's presence. Uh, and, and also what Ignatius would call disquietude, disquietude. So instead of uh, the quietude, the peace, there's a restlessness and an inability to quiet oneself. So absolutely that, you know, during desolation, it's it's kind of impossible to get down to those deeper levels of the ocean floor. And and that, that can happen to anyone at any time. Um, you know, even I've had time, I've had moments like that and I don't like it. Um, it's, and you talk about a priest in training, uh, in one of the books and having that sort of that desolation time and, and not being able to tap into that. So it, again, normalizing it, that experience um, yes. for, for the people listening, that it does happen to us. Um, yes, it happens to everybody. And, and even deeply mature people can still have this experience of desolation. Absolutely. Yeah. Just in closing, if we could touch on the examine Sure. So St. Ignatius, he just had so many incredible insights. So this is just yet another, just a beautiful, if you will, invention of St. Ignatius. It's a particular type of prayer that he called the examine, uh, uh, E-X-E-M-E-N, or E-X-A-M-E-N, rather, uh, the examine. And he says, uh, that it's meant to be very short. So he would recommend it to be, he says a quarter of an hour. It could even be as short as 10 minutes. So it's meant to be very short. It's not meant to be long. And it's meant to be, if you will, real time reflection. So, you know, you can go on retreat once a year and reflect over your year. And that's a wonderful thing to do. This is meant to be in in place while you're in the chair while you're in the the driver's seat you're you're reflecting on real time uh realities so so you you might pray it at noon for example so right smack in the middle of your day you pause for a minute and you spend just 5 10 or 15 minutes at the most saying what's going on what's going on in my life not just concretely what's happening in my life but what are the movements what are these inner movements so for example am i this morning in desolation or consolation and if i'm in desolation then i can ask the lord to, to sort of rescue me and if i'm in consolation then i can pray a prayer of gratitude and relish uh so it's it's a it's a little check-in if you will just a little check-in that that Ignatius recommends at least once a day. Uh, 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 and it's oftentimes people pray twice a day uh, and where you check in. And, and, and you look at, you're supposed to look at past, present, and future. So if you're doing it at noon, what happened this morning? 
Uh, and then what what am I feeling and, and thinking right now at this moment? And then what's going to happen this afternoon? And what graces what I might I pray for, given what I anticipate to happen in the afternoon? Uh, so it's just a, a wonderful, marvelous little little um, check in with God, if you will. Uh, you know, uh, he he is a five step formula, Saint Ignatius. But but you could even reduce it to the simplest thing of all, which I would say is uh, three three uh, fill in the blanks, if you will. Uh, 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 thank you for, uh, forgive me for, and help me with those mm -hmm. three things, Lord. Thank you for, and then what do you want to thank God for? Lord, forgive me for, and then you talk about the, the moments that didn't go so well. And then help me with, uh, what do you need his help with in the, in the upcoming hours of your day? Uh, so it's really just that simple. I could talk to you, you know, <laughs> all day, but I want to be mindful of our time and uh, and just to thank you for for joining me and for sharing your wisdom. It's such a pleasure to meet you after having, um, you know, spent so much time with you uh, in your in your written books and your teachings, and uh, you really have such a, a gift for uh, all of this good work and, and presenting it in such a way that it's so tangible and easy to understand. I love the how you thread these personal stories in um, and make them, you know, relatable. So, so thank you for, for, for this and for, uh, for sitting with me. You're most welcome. I, it's these are my favorite things to talk about. So Mine too. <laughs> to have this conversation with you, and I wish all all your listeners uh, all the best. And 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 I, if I had any advice for them, I would say just trust. Trust that indeed to reach for God is to reach God. That 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 if they are making a sincere attempt at reaching God, even if it doesn't feel that way always, that they are in fact in the arms of God. I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at talkingjoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.